Well, as we take a look at what this means for us today, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, uh, we ask for your help this morning, that you would open our minds to understand, our hearts, uh, Father, to be transformed and to obey. Uh, we ask for help in proclaiming your word, help in understanding, and help in living differently because of it. Lord, uh, we ask for your presence here by your Holy Spirit, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this particular passage tells us about the day of Pentecost. You might have uh, heard it at the beginning. Pentecost is the Greek word for 50. It, this is a festival that comes 50 days after, this, after the celebration of Passover. So what this means is it's been about 50 days since Jesus has risen from the dead, and it's been a handful of days since Jesus has ascended into heaven. And the disciples that Jesus has left behind have been in Jerusalem, mostly just hanging out in this upper room in a house, praying, okay, God, now what? What's next? And Pentecost comes as the answer to their prayers. I want to share this passage with you this morning by taking on one of the characters in the story. And it's been a while since I've done this, so I hope that it won't be terrible. Uh, the second thing is I want to give you just a, a couple of brief instructions. I, I want to let you know, first of all, in order to, to sort of retell this as a story, I, I do have to take a, a couple of liberties with the text that we have in the scriptures, supply some of the things that you know, might be lacking if we were to turn this into a play or a movie or something along those lines. Uh, when I do that, that, I just want to be really clear that my editions are not God's inspired word. They are a way of trying to uh, hold the story together. I also want to encourage you to not get lost in the details, but rather think of what are the main ideas, what are the big ideas that are coming out of this. And if we do that, we're going to be encountering the word of God together this morning. So let me move this out of the way. Let me say another silent prayer. And let's go. Have you ever had to wait for anything in your life? Life's full of waiting, isn't it? Waiting uh, sometimes is easy and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes hey, maybe if we're waiting for something that we don't want to come, we're glad that the days seem to stretch out. But when we are waiting for things that we, we need, when we're waiting for things that we, we want it can feel like the waiting just goes on and on and on forever. And there was this time in my life where, where I was waiting. And it was a little bit like both of those things, where the, you, you kind of said, it's okay if we have to wait a little bit longer. But at the same time, we're thinking, but I, I just want it to get here. I want it to come. See, I was one of Jesus' first disciples. I was, in some ways, one of his last disciples, too. Jesus uh, was this amazing teacher who went all throughout the land of Judea telling people about, about God and about God's kingdom that was coming. And some people listened, and, and they said, wow, Jesus is amazing, and I was one of those. And some people listened, and they said, wow, Jesus, we hate that guy. And I was also sort of one of those. 
because it was so challenging being around Jesus. You never knew what was going to happen from day to day. Some days you, you were, he was so popular and everyone loved him and he was telling us the things that we deeply wanted to hear about how God still loves us and how there's still a good future ahead of us. In other days, he was saying stuff like, you guys have got it so wrong. And all the crowds that were following Jesus would leave and go home and say, we don't want any more. And there were days when I felt the same way, where it's like, I don't know if I really want to stick it out any longer with Jesus. But at least for some of us, there is this sense of whether it's a good day with Jesus or a hard day with Jesus, the only way to really live is to be with Jesus. He's the one who really understands. And sometimes that is hard, and sometimes it's just wonderful, but it's always what we need. And then, of course, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he reached the nadir of his popularity, the very least popular he could be. He was so unpopular that crowds of people gathered around him and shouted for his death, and they got what they wanted. Jesus was hung on a cross, and he died on the Friday before the Passover. That was a hard day to follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, we thought we couldn't follow him anymore. And we all, all of us disciples, scattered and ran away. But then something else happened. Then, you know, just on the third day after he died, Jesus appeared to us. You know, what were we going to do? We, we had run away, and we, we kind of all ran away together because together was maybe the safest place to be. But we're trying to think, how do we live our lives when our leader has just been murdered, killed by the mob of people? They're certainly going to come for us next. And then as we're hiding out in a room with no windows and locked doors, Jesus appears in the middle, and he says, Hey, guys, here I am, or something like that. And it changed, it changed our lives, it changed the way we thought about everything. I mean, have, have you ever had one of those moments in life where, where the world is one way and then something happens and now the world itself is different forever? That's what it was like, that moment when Jesus comes. He had died, but he was alive again. And, and let me tell you, he was dead. He wasn't faking. Okay, there were, the Roman soldiers killed him, and they're the best at death in the world when I lived. And they had all these tests that they did to make sure people were dead. As a matter of fact, they wanted the, the people on the cross to die sooner than they normally would. So they went around ready to break everybody's legs so they couldn't you know, pull themselves up to breathe anymore, and they would suffocate to death faster. But when they got to Jesus, they're like, well, he's not breathing he must be dead. Just in case he's fake, and they took a spear and they stabbed him with it in his side, and blood and water came out, which basically meant his organs had exploded. He was dead, but he was alive again, and it changed my life forever. Now he spent the next 40 days after Jesus rose from that he was teaching us. It was amazing. You know, it's one thing, have you ever heard a, a teacher who's pretty charismatic and you know, he or she, they're telling you all this stuff and, and you're wrapped and you're listening and you're full of attention and, and you're like, I could listen to this person forever. Do you have a pastor like that? No, we'll, we won't do that. 
You ever had one of those people in your life? Now, let me ask you something. Have any of them ever come back from the dead to speak to you? I mean, it was electric. We were so absorbed. You, you, every night when we went, we went to bed when we were so tired, we couldn't stay up any longer. And then as soon as our bodies had recovered even a little bit, we were up again so that we could hear Jesus speak, so we could be with Jesus. And after 40 days of this, Jesus comes up to us disciples and he, and he says, I'm about to go. And, you know, say we, we weren't thrilled. Uh, these were the best days of our lives. He said, I'm about to go. And we're trying to understand what he could possibly mean. He's already died and come back. So where could he be going now? And Jesus says, but I want you to wait here until the Father sends you the Holy Spirit. And we said, Lord, uh, is this the day when all of our dreams come true? When, when you make everything right that's gone wrong in the world? When you, you get rid of the Romans and you, you let us rule in our own land? And Jesus said, nope, that's not your business. That's not my mission for you. Your job is to wait. So that's what we did. We waited one day and, and two days and three days. And you know how we waited. We, we all were in a room together again. It was sort of like right after Jesus died, except we weren't really hiding this time. We were just, we were just waiting for what would happen next. And we we're praying all day long because that's what, you know, spending 40 days with a guy who comes back from the dead does to you, changes the way that you look at the world that you live in. And we were waiting for the next world, for, for all that God had promised to come true. And we're waiting and we're praying a fourth day and a fifth day and on and on. And finally, we, we woke up and it was a day like every other day before it. It was a day just of, of waiting and we started to pray. And then the house we were in started to shake. You ever been praying and the house starts to shake? I mean, we were, okay, now what? And it was like, it was like wind. It, it was like the biggest windstorm we'd ever experienced in our life. The house, it, it felt like it was shaking. It, it felt like the whole thing would just be picked up and blow away. And it felt like we'd be blown away with it. But there was no wind. And it, it, was, like, it was like we could see fire fire that was coming down through the roof to us and, and it was splitting into pieces and it was starting to rest on each person that was, that was in that room. But there was no heat and there was no flame. And then I felt suffusing me, filling me, filling me so much that it, it couldn't stay in. It, it had to come out somehow. I felt this this presence in me. Let me stop just for a minute. Let, let me remind you of who I am and what we were doing. I'm not educated. You know, I, I, I wasn't, there wasn't some famous rabbi who came and taught me everything I know. I can barely read and write. I am not wealthy or influential 
Nobody knows my name. I have not done amazing things or lived a special life. If you met me, you would forget about me in just a few moments. If I told you the story of my life, it would sound like anybody's story. And I'm the one that the Holy Spirit came and filled up. And every man and every woman, me. And I was full of the Holy Spirit so much so that it had to come out. And I started, I don't know where it came from, but it was like, you know how people say when when they have a near-death experience, their life flashed before their eyes? Well, I had that experience too, but it was was a little bit different. Instead of knowing I was about to die, it felt like I was about to start living in a way that God had always planned for me, but I'd never really understood. And I started to remember all these things I'd experienced early in my life. I remembered being teased by other children and feeling like everyone hates me and the world is terrible. And that there was something that kept me going and kept me seeking the friendship and the company of other people. I remembered my mother in the time that she almost died. She was so sick, and she was in bed for it felt like weeks, and we knew she would never get up again. And then one day, she got up, and it was okay. And I remembered those moments that hurt so badly and so deeply in my life, that marriage that my family arranged for me. And I was about to start you know, my, my, my grown-up life, the life that I'd lived that was full of meaning and purpose. And I wouldn't just be a child anymore. And then it all fell apart. And I thought I could never matter or be anything. And then Jesus came and found me and made me his disciple. Because let's be... Let's be honest about this. I didn't stick with Jesus so much because I was like, I am so certain and I am, I am so uh, like faithful that I'm just going to never turn my back on Jesus. Guys, I turned my back on Jesus. He died on the cross and I ran away and he came and he found me in my locked windowless room. He put my life back together. And I realized all of a sudden that we were outside. We'd all run outside. All of us in the room, we were all going through the same thing. We all ran outside and we started to speak. And we were talking about all of these things, things that I never would have told. You know, just, hey, you know, random stranger. As a matter of fact, there's a huge crowd of people because at Pentecost, when Jerusalem normally has about 100,000 people in it, there were a million people in it. The city was Packed. It was totally full. People were sleeping on the streets. And early in the morning, we run out and we start shouting all of the story of our lives to the people around us. And it's all in praise to God. Saying, praise God who saved my mother. Praise God who put my life back together. Praise God who parted the Red Sea and saved our people. Praise God who gives us sun every day. Who brings the rain when we need it. And we were starting to attract a crowd. You know, the the 20 or 30 or 40 of us who were out there, people started gathering around. Thousands of people started gathering around. And I noticed that some of them were looking at me. 
And they were talking to themselves. And I I couldn't stop praising God and saying all of these things. And I realized, I don't know these words that I'm using. I know what I'm saying, but I don't know my own vocabulary. And I overheard these people who were looking at me. They were listening. And they said, how is this man speaking Coptic? They were from Egypt. How is this man speaking Coptic? He's obviously a Galilean, and Galileans can barely even speak their own stinking language. They're like Americans. And I listened to the other disciples all around me, and I realized I have no idea what they're saying. We were all speaking the languages of the people surrounding us. And I thought, this can't be happening. I mean, it's, it's not possible. And, and then I remembered something. Do you remember all the way back in the book of Genesis, the story of the Tower of Babel? Remember, they, people are like, we're going to build a tower so tall it'll reach to heaven. And God looks down and says, what's that tiny thing they're building down there? And, and then he comes down and he says, these people think that they can save themselves and they can't. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to confuse their languages and none of them will understand each other. And that will be a sign that points them back to me, the only one who can really meet their needs. And I thought, you know, I'm not just speaking a language I don't know right now. God is undoing the curse of Babel, and he's using me, the man who was born to nobodies, who accomplished nothing, who abandoned Jesus. He's using me to fix the things that are most fundamentally broken in this world. Now, some people started to laugh. And they said, these guys must be drunk. They're spouting a bunch of nonsense. And then Peter stood up. I've heard of Peter, I'm sure. The disciple Peter. He's the greatest of the apostles. But what, you, what maybe you don't remember about Peter is that he was the guy who really wanted to be the greatest and then immediately would fall flat on his face. He'd be like, I'm going to be the greatest disciple that you've ever had, Jesus. And Jesus would say, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the night is over. Peter goes, I would never do that. And then he goes out and he denies Jesus three times. That's Peter. Peter stands up in front of the group, and if this were any other day, he would totally fail. He would. Peter is another nobody and nothing. Peter stands up in front of these thousands of people, and he says, hey, everybody, we're not drunk. It's too early in the morning for anyone to be drunk. But here's what's happening. The prophet Joel told us about this day. He said, in the end, in the last days, that God would pour out his Holy Spirit on not the priests, you know, not the religious superstars, but on the fathers and the mothers and on the children and on the daughters and on everybody. And that's how you'll know that God is about to do something amazing among you. He says, let me tell you about what precipitated these last days, where they came from. Jesus, 
You all know Jesus. Most of you were here 50 days ago, and you were part of the crowds that called for him to die. But you need to know that's not, that wasn't up to you. That's what God planned from the very beginning. God had it all figured out. He sent Jesus to die, and you cooperated with that plan. And the great thing about Jesus is he is the kind of person that death can't keep hold of him. And as I was listening to Peter preach, I started to think to myself, where did this come from? Peter can barely count to 10. And here he is stringing together all of these different scriptures. He went to the prophets. He went to the Psalms. He talked about King David. And he was explaining in a way that I was thinking, he's, he's right. It's true. I've never thought of it this way before. And you know what I realized in that moment? See, Jesus went out. He was an amazing, powerful preacher. And Peter was preaching like Jesus. Because he was full of the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry. When Peter preached this amazing sermon, it's one of the best sermons I ever heard in my life. And when he was done, you, know, he, you have to understand the things he was saying. You killed Jesus. You stink. You've been opposed to all of God's ways and purposes. Now, if you want to get people to follow you, that's the hard way to get people to follow you, right? If you want to get them to follow you, say, let me tell you how wonderful you are. Peter wasn't doing that. But he had the power of Jesus. And when he finished preaching, he wrapped it up and he stopped and he waited. And people in the crowd started to wail and cry out. And one of them, and then a growing number of them said, what shall we do? Peter had drawn his arrow and he'd hidden them right in the heart. And Peter said, you all need to repent and be baptized and you will be saved. And we the whole crowd, thousands of us. We ran to the nearest pool, nearest cistern of water in Jerusalem, and we started baptizing people. One, two, ten, twenty, a hundred, two hundred, a thousand, two thousand. I don't know if we kept a super accurate count. There was so much happening, we couldn't keep up with it at all. But as best as we can figure, at least 3,000 people that day gave their lives to Jesus and were baptized and were never the same. Yeah, the reason I want to share this with you this morning is because I see you all gathered in church you're coming together. And some of you walked a couple doors down, and some of you, you know, it took you some time to get here. Some of you are retired, and some of you are working, and some of you have a big family, and some of you have no family. And some of you have achieved great things, and some of you feel like you've achieved nothing in your lives. But let me tell you, if, 
you can all see that same result that we had in Jerusalem on Pentecost. Because God didn't call you because of how amazing you are. He called you because of how amazing he is. And he wants to do amazing things through you. What's possible for you in your life, for your church, and for your community? There's nothing that's off the table when Jesus is involved, when the Holy Spirit is at work. So here's the question then. Who are you going to say yes to today? When you start hearing God nudging you like he nudged George, saying, go outside. Anyone can say yes to going outside. When he starts nudging you and saying, that person looks lonely, can you say, yeah, I'll go, and I'll make a friend today? Anyone can do that. When he starts saying, that person needs to hear about your faith in Jesus, I know, folks, that sometimes that can be a scary sort of thing. And we can feel totally unequipped or ill-equipped or, or like my story's not interesting enough. Would you remember my story? Would you remember that I was the nobody from nowhere who knew nothing, who abandoned Jesus and who helped baptize 3,000 people on Pentecost Sunday? 